ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Jones. Hey, man. I just want to tell you guys a little something here about uh, living in this here New York City. Now, to be clear, I am not asking for your sympathy because I'm cool, right? Like, I'd be all right. But I just want to ask you how you think I felt when I got that email from uh, Con Edison this month. And, you know, those of you who don't live around here, I don't know nothing about that. Con Edison is the uh, electric company. And I got the electric company on automatic draft. Now, when I lived in Miami, Miami, okay? When I lived in Miami, I had a place that was about this size. And I ran the electricity all, I mean, the, the air conditioner all the time. And you know why I run the air conditioner all the time? I run the air conditioner all the time because of something my homeboy George's daddy told him way back in the day. And you know what that was? I worked too hard to be hot in my own house. And you know what? Me too. I worked too hard to be hot in my own house. And I am in a position where I am willing to pay and able to pay whatever is the sum that is required for me to walk into the house and it be cool, right? But I ain't like ridiculous with it. I got rooms that are not my bedroom, you know? And so I don't run the air conditioner in there. I run the air conditioner in my living room. I run the air conditioner in my bedroom. Those are the places where I run the air conditioner. Bro, why can't Edison tell me my electric bill was $341.84 for the month? As I said, I ran my air conditioner all the time when I lived in Miami. And it ain't never get to no $342. It wasn't never that. And, you know, a lot of that time I wasn't even here because I was traveling and stuff like that. $342. Okay. Now, granted, it was high as firecracker in New York for a lot of that time. $342. My man John here says, is that why you got the hoodie on? Trying to cut back on that. Hell no. I got the hoodie on precisely because I am not cutting back on that. I got the hoodie on because if I put it up one degree more, it'll be too hot. So I'm leaving it right as it is. That's why I got the hoodie on. Anyway. I hollered at my homeboy. He got like a brownstone with floors and stuff. And he got a family, you know, all of that. <laughs> Bro, he told me his electric bill last month was $1,000. A G. 
Can you imagine the circumstances under which your electric bill is a G? Like, what are you in there doing? Mining Bitcoin? No, just living life. That's New York. Like, it's 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 just that. That is New York City. I be going to the ATM, and I'm like, I go to the ATM more than I ever did before, and I take out more money when I do than I ever did before. This place just gets you for your paper. Like at every turn, it gets you for your paper. So yeah, my man said he got a $1,000 light bill. $1,000 light bill. And I got to tell you, um, I understand a lot of people got a lot more struggle you know, when it comes to living in this city. Like, I get that, you know? So I'm not out here sitting here trying to, you know, ask sympathy. I'm just trying to give you an indicator of what this place is like. And so if I had to go through the stresses of living in New York, let me tell you this. I ain't never going to walk into a hot house. I feel like this shit is just too stressful for you to have to put up with that. And I recognize that that's a compromise that a lot of people have to make, right? That walk into a hot house. Like, you know what one of the great, like, tests of who you are is? When you walk out of your house and you're going out of town and you got to decide whether or not to maintain thermoregulation in your crib while you were gone. Right. Do you want to walk in to what happens when you leave the air conditioner off for a week? Or the other one, what happens when you leave and come back, but you wasn't running the heat? Now, I ain't had no situation where I made the decision not to run the heat in such a way. Um, I have had situations where, like, then I cut my shit off, but that's a long time ago. Um, but I came back from a trip. Like you imagine this, right? I went to Miami and I did highly question for a week. And so while I'm in Miami, podcast, but while I'm in Miami, I look at what the temperature going to be in New York when I get back. And that bad boy was looking like something in the twenties. And I ordered, it was Thursday. I ordered a North face next day air to the offices at the Clevelander. And I packed that North Face in my suitcase. And when I got off the plane, I opened up my suitcase and I put that North Face on because I wasn't waiting in that cab ride cold, right? Like it's the same sort of principle about like the heat. But anyway, bro, I got back to my crib. The heat wasn't working. Woo, woo, woo. Like, let me tell you something. Most people have some experience being in a house that does not have air conditioning, right? Like for whatever reason, even if it's just like something temporary, like the air conditioner broke or something like that, but, or you like your grandmama's house didn't have no air conditioning or whatever, right? But like, I feel like everybody has had a circumstance under which they have been in a house with no air conditioning. Air conditioner went out once in my, it used to go out like every summer at my parents' house. And it would get so hot in that bad boy that you couldn't go upstairs. Like, if you went upstairs, the carpet was hot to the touch in the summer. Like, it'd be like that. But I don't feel like everyone 
has had the experience of walking into a cold house with no heat. That right there, it may not be the worst, but it ain't the best. Like, you ever been in your house and seen your own breath? Like, you know, you know, like, Ooh, man, you put on all them clothes and get under the sheets. That's what, I had to do. That's what I had to do when that bad boy wasn't working here, man. I put all them clothes and get up under the sheets. That ain't what you want, man. It's not. It's not. And, like, that's why I say when you walk out to go out of town or whatever it is, that decision you make about what to do with the, with the, with the temperature, man, it just makes you really stop and ask yourself, like, what the priorities are, you know? And so basically what you wind up doing is you be in your own house thinking about paying airport prices. You know what I mean by airport prices. Airport prices, you get to the airport, you forgot whatever it is, but you need it and you at the airport and the airport studying elasticity. Airport going to stick you up. They got you. What you going to do? Right? Like you need it. This is your chance to get it. What you got on it. This is what you going to do. That's what it is for you walking out that door. It's like, man, how important is it when I walk in here that it not be cold? Yeah, man, my vote is when I get back in here, I need to feel like I need to feel. I've been traveling. I'm, I'm tired. Anyway, let us move on to your questions. What's the best thing you could afford now that you couldn't previously? Oh, that answer is easy. A $350 electric bill. Boom. Next question here. How come you aren't at NABJ, uh, NASA Association of Black Journalists Convention, this week? Why am I not there? Buddy, I'm not sure if you heard, but I just started doing a new television show. Wow, all those easy questions. Let's see here. Next one. How much has your life changed with the enormous success of High Noon? Buddy, the paychecks changed when the contract kicked in, and that was before the show started. Uh, I'm realizing in this moment um, that the way I'm handling these questions is absolutely being affected by the way I've been handling these questions that people send on the Instagram. I be getting in and out quick there. I've got this podcast. I, I do this a little bit different. Uh, somebody did say it's going to be a short podcast tonight. I'm going to give you all the podcasts I got, but I will tell you that I didn't eat dinner before I do this, and I do not get on any microphone or camera without eating first. But something happened, and I wasn't able to get that done in time. So, yeah, it might be short, but not because of those questions. What's that painting behind you, and why do you like it so much? I don't remember what the name of it is. I'm sure I got some paperwork here behind it. And, I mean, I like it because it looks cool. Wow, some of you guys are sending some really shitty questions. Wow, guys, if this podcast is short, it will be your fault. Sorry, no disrespect. This is a mediocre collection of inquiries. Oh, okay, I know. How do you navigate your way through office politics? I got an agent. That is how I do that. My solution to office politics is trying to stay as far removed from them as possible. All right, guys, help me out here. Help me out here. 
Who is the prototypical R&B slash soul front man that you can place in any group from any era and they don't miss a beat? So I feel like my answer to this question, you know, may feel like I'm not doing this right. Um, but there's only one answer to this question. And I do think he counts as a front man because he always fronted a band. It just so happened that, you know, he was listed as the name of the act and all, you know, most of them. But the answer is James Brown. You know, like that, that's about it. I mean, maybe I don't know how exactly it works if you put James Brown in the temptations, but I mean, we drop James Brown off anywhere, anywhere. And you know what it'll be wherever we drop him off? It'll be James Brown. That's who he will be. And I really wonder, I have no grasp on this. And I'm curious on like for people who are younger, like James Brown do anything at all for you. And I ask that because, you know, this is something that said, you know, kind of by, you know, back in my day types, but it's still worth noting that this generation, as of now, in the music at least, there's not a lot of use for singing. And not that James Brown is necessarily like the greatest singer in the world, but it's still according to that paradigm. But James is not a singer. So, like, I don't know. I, like, I'm just very curious what the appreciation is of James Brown. Somebody's in the chat room saying uh, they're 47 years old and they only like a few of his songs. And I honestly feel like this. If you only like a few James Brown songs, then you probably haven't heard that many James Brown songs. And that means that you should probably get on the Star Time uh, box set and just go ahead and give it a run. Because I don't know how it is that you can, like, basically – any black music that has come out in the last almost 60 years and be like, yeah, I don't really rock with James Brown. I don't like JB is the bedrock of just about everything from there. Like you got to think about this. So there's a lot of jazz influence in the early James stuff. The big thing is James is a foundational figure in the building of like the soul aesthetic. He is without question, the number one most important figure um, in the transition to funk, right? Like that starts at James Brown. Then from there, the foundation of hip hop is on James Brown samples and a lot on what just the general presence of James Brown was. Like, I mean, that's him. That's him. So yeah, like you're like, I don't like a couple James Brown songs. Don't let the famous James Brown songs like interfere with getting into what the James Brown songs are. The thing about James Brown is the rhythm section of the James Brown band, no matter who it was that was actually the rhythm section at the time of the James Brown band, was always the tightest. There was nothing beat the James Brown band. Why? Because James Brown was a like frightening taskmaster who burned people out because of his dedication to perfection. But then there was perfection. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. Uh, let me see. Let me see. Let me see. All right, here we go. Somebody, somebody asked me this already. I don't think so. Have you seen Sorry to Bother You? If so, what do you think of the socio-political concepts brought up in the movie? 
before went sideways with that movie. I don't know what that last part means. I mean, if you're asking me about the socio-political concepts brought up in the movie, are you basically asking me about Marxism? Because that's what it is. Like, I'm not new to the Boots Riley thing, right? Like, those of us who are kind of familiar with the coup understand this. Like, Boots is a Marxist. It's been very interesting watching how he handles that in the promo because not everybody can handle hearing about somebody being a Marxist. But Boots is a Marxist. Um, and so there's a lot of Marxist ideology, you know, at least I saw in the movie. I thought, I thought the movie was good, right? I don't think the movie was great or excellent necessarily, but I thought the movie was good. I think the movie went a little too far at the end where I was just like, come on, bro. There wasn't nobody to talk you out of this. But um, like, we're not talking about a great movie, at least as far as I'm concerned. Um, But it was cool. I enjoyed it. Um, But like the, the concepts, I mean, the dilemma that most of us face within this is that there's room to be highly critical of capitalism, right? But what happens when you yourself get a chance to win a little bit, you know? Now in that movie, the, the, what my man got stuck with being asked to do, I mean, that wasn't really the most difficult question in the world, right? Like, I mean, no, you don't do that. Right. So, you know, there's that part. Yeah, he was there but there's a little strike and now he don't work down there anymore and whether he stood with them, you know, and everything else. Like, yo, those I think that is an interesting dilemma that somebody winds up caught in and you try to figure out what exactly it is that you do under those circumstances. Like I think that that's a very interesting human place to go here because we all you know no matter what it is that you think about this man everybody trying to survive in it if you talk about doing stuff like having kids in it or whatever man look man let me tell you something about everybody i know that got kids like i got a lot of partners that legitimately are not about that bread like that is not what their priority is that's not what you know they're out here to do um they would like to make some money um, but that's not their focus. Then you have kids. It don't matter where your focus is. It doesn't. Those kids got stuff they need. And you probably gonna have to go out there and get a job. Right? You gotta get they get some what they go, they get them what they want. What happened to your principal when it comes to that? You know, how far does that go? And so, yeah, there are a lot of people out here that are wildly critical of the way the game is, but they're trying to do something between survive and win. You know, and I think that's kind of the paradox that was, you know, kind of brought up in that movie. I thought another part, like, as a notion that that movie brings that's worth thinking about is I feel like a major theme of that is the identity that a person derives from where they stand in the economics of this. Like what you do is who you are in this, you know? And so the movie presents the idea of kind of being patted on the back for being good at your job, but it makes people feel good about themselves. 
to be in that position because who you are in a capitalist society is what you do. You know what I mean? Like, like that's how it goes. Who you are is what you do. And that plays a role also in some of the decisions that people like ultimately wind up making. It's there. So I feel like that probably answers some of your question. If not, what you going to do? All right. Appreciate the question. Let's see the next one. With the reboot of ALF on deck, can we say Hollywood is out of ideas? What's a show worthy of a reboot? Ho, 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 ho. Hold on a second, bro. I need to make sure I read that properly because I feel like there was some big news in there that nobody told me about. You guys let me know if I'm the only one who was unaware that they rebooting ALF. What? How? How are you going to keep Alpha secret in 2018? Like, if you got Alf up in the crib, how are you going to keep Alpha secret in 2018? Also, what kind of jokes is Alf going to be telling in 2018? Because I feel like Alf going to need a little bit more edge. You know, like, I don't feel like the old paradigm, no problem. I don't feel like that's going to work for Alf at this point in time. I don't. Also, like, didn't Alf's, like, spaceship crash or something like that? And that's how they came across Alf. Um, I don't feel like Alf's spaceship could crash without nobody knowing about it. Just don't, just don't see it as possible. Also, I have forgotten that Alf was about... Uh, He's always trying to eat the cat, right? Like they had a cat in the house. Alf was always always trying to um, eat that. And it wasn't until I looked into the chat that I realized that maybe, just maybe, that's a metaphor. Anyway, uh, appreciate the questions. Let me uh, see what else we got here. Demi Lovato was on that horse, and America is so full of empathy. Whitney Houston was 10 times the singer she is, and she was treated like a slum crack hub. So I think we talked about this when I talked about the Whitney Houston uh, documentaries. Um, But I do think that this is an interesting point, and there always is something to the idea of who is or is not a sympathetic crackhead. I may have told you about the time that I was doing radio in Raleigh and I was talking about Josh Hamilton and I raised the question, what makes one crackhead different from another? Completely forgetting that Josh Hamilton was from Raleigh and then his father called. It went okay, but it's a lot of lemon booty while I waited to hear what that man had to say. Anyway, the point that I would make on this, because I do think that the macro level observation about the differences in the ways that we treat white drug addicts and black drug addicts are there. Um, I also don't think that black people are that kind of black drug addicts either. You know what I mean? Like this is one of those that's less about who delivers it than it is about who winds up receiving it, no matter who it comes from. Appreciate the question. See what we got here. Thoughts on the Nikki Takashi 6ix9ine backlash? I'm 37 years old, buddy. Let me see what else we got here. Oh, let me see. Wow. 
Yeah, I'll do this. I know you said that some of the changes you made in your career over the past year were in the interest of taking better care of yourself. With that in mind, how are you doing these days? I'm good. Um, I do take better care of myself. I probably don't take as good a care of myself as I should, but I do take better care of myself. Um, I mean, the thing about, I know I mentioned this, but um, I moved here to do a TV show. And I moved here in a very kind of difficult part of my life, but I moved here to do a television show. And for one year while I was here, I wasn't doing a television show. And so it was kind of empty um, in that regard. But I'm doing a television show now, and I really enjoy doing the television show. So, yeah, no, we're in a pretty good place, and outside of that, I'm doing all right. Is this a golden era for smart black people in television? Jesus and Mirage, Showtime, Jordan Peele and Monkey Paw, Issa Rae and Terry and Snash at HBO and the Netflix-funded Exodus from ABC Studios. Um, I don't know. I don't really know who Terrence Nance is. Um I mean, I guess I would make the argument that, yes, this is true. It is a golden era for smart black people on television. But my question would be, like, I mean, how many golden eras of any kind of television have we really had for black people? Like, I guess you could say the 90s to a degree were a golden era for black television because we saw more, like, black television shows. But I like to be careful about the way that we're throwing around, like, smart in this. And I say that because I think generally television has gotten smarter across the board. Um, Like television is written in a much different way than it used to be. Television is written by different people than it used to be written by. So I think that no matter who you are, it is a golden age of smart television. There also happen to be black people who are doing television um, that is within that. But, I mean, I think that Insecure, for example, is a good show. I don't know if I think it is a great show. I watch it as much as anything else for the participatory elements of it. Um, But I think it is a good show. But I don't watch Insecure and come away from it thinking, man, what a smart show. You know, like that's not the conclusion that I have. You mentioned Jordan Peele, and we're not really talking about this right now, but it's not like Key and Peele. Like Chappelle's show was way smarter than Key and Peele was. Um, So, like, the thing I always say, like, when it comes to smart stuff, and it's good to do smart stuff. But the first thing somebody says about your content is how smart it is. Unless you're working for NPR or something like that, your shit going to fail. Like, that's it. Truth is, there are not very many good shows or movies that aren't smart in their own way. Like, it's hard to do something good that isn't, in, like, in effect, smart. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else you got here. Wow. Woo. All right, man. I'm going to try to get y'all 10 more minutes. I'm seeing if y'all got 10 more minutes worth of questions. It, it doesn't really look like it. How many times have you been carded to buy groceries? Look, man, here's what everybody needs to understand about that. I don't really know how to respond to that thing that's brought up. You know why? Because I'm black. And as a result of being black, 
I've been carded all kinds of places. So I don't recall getting carded to buy groceries, but it is not out of the realm of possibility. So my man Malcolm in the chat room, I guess he ain't figured out how to answer, like put questions in here that we can put on the screen. But I'll go ahead and answer his question. His question is, I see you take solo trips. If I may ask, how did you find your peace by being cool with being solo? Um, I'll tell you how. I took that trip to Paris by myself because that trip was for work. Um, And then I just did it. You know, like I was there. And so I had never really, like what I had thought was that if I took a trip by myself like that, that I would like get lonely at a point. And you do have times where you kind of wish somebody was around. And I'm not social in that way where I can just fall up in your city and then hit the bar and then come out of it. And I got a couple of new friends. Like I'm not that type of person. But what I do, like when I'm traveling solo, the big thing for me is my days are like when I do stuff. And then at night I just chill. You know, take the night and read and something like that or whatever. But during the day, if you want to go do some tours, marching or walking around or whatever, then do that in the afternoon. Then just tie yourself out, go sleep, wake up, do it again. Man, I got an eyelash in my eye, and that's the most annoying thing in the world. So I'm about to be up in here with y'all looking like, you know, I'm on that blinky. All right. I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm looking. All right, sorry guys, this is taking too much work. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on the Evening Jones. Try to do this thing here once every couple of weeks or so somewhere. And there, my man Lance Gilliam handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Remember, if you can't catch the Evening Jones live, subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the iTunes store, subscribe to Stitcher Radio. Check us out at SoundCloud. We are also at the Google Play Store. Talk to you guys soon. Take it easy.